is uh, not doing too well, and um, so she needed to go to, with her to the oncologist tomorrow, so that's, not, that's why she's not here. But it is kind of funny. I come here on Sundays, and here's what happens. People will, will come to me, and they'll say, hi, where's Sue? It's like that, you know. So we know who the star of the show is around here. <laughs> anyway, she sends her greetings and uh, misses you. So when you get your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, not Acts like, uh, you know, chopping wood, but A-C-T-S. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. Find that place about two-thirds of the way through the Bible where it has a little uh, divider from between the Old and New Testaments and then go five books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And when you get there, turn to chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Last week we began a three-part uh, series of messages called Mission Possible. And it has to do, uh, admittedly, um, with a little bit of a, kind of a self-serving theme. Uh, because we're talking about our church. We're talking about crossroads. And uh, don't get me wrong. It's not that we're not going to talk about God or the Bible. We're definitely going to be doing that. But um, we... Uh, you know, I don't know, I, I, t- I said last week, I've been a part of the church since I was, well, my whole life. I probably was attending church when I was in embryo, you know. <laughs> and so I've been a part of uh, this outfit for an awfully long time, longer than I wish. No, 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 I didn't mean it that way. I'm, oh, that was really a bad thing to say. What I meant was, I'm older than I wish. How's that? Um, but uh, I just... You know, I have no time left in my life to just do church. As wonderful as, as church life is and all of that, I, you know, I'm done with that. I want to live my life under assignment. I want to make a difference in this world and in the world that God has assigned me, the circle of my life's influence. And so part of the reason why my wife and I felt so compelled to partner with you and to join forces with you five months ago in this endeavor called Crossroads, this wonderful adventure, was because we sensed in you the same desire. Not to just uh, start another church. God knows we could start and need to start a whole lot more churches in the Bay Area. There's nothing wrong with that. But But I sensed in you as in my own heart that there was something more involved in the establishing of this church than just let's, let's do another one. No, there was a unique purpose, a unique sense of assignment that you had that we shared. And so we, um, I have been uh, uh, just delighted to be able to see how God is knitting our hearts together to fulfill that for which this church was founded. When I, my, for the first five weeks that I stood before you as your pastor, we talked about our vision. And in fact, in your bulletin this morning is a little, a little statement of our vision. And um, vision is different than mission. Vision has to do with what we believe God is causing us to become. And I said it last week, it's like he has, a, has an easel and a, and a canvas and across the top of the canvas, it says crossroads, and he's painting a picture, this delightful, wonderful, marvelous painting of what he is make, causing us to be. 
And we believe that the Lord is causing us to be a comfortable place to seek, a dynamic place to worship, a caring place to, to heal, a solid place to grow, and a joyful place to serve. Mission, on, uh, on the other hand, mission has to do with what we do, what God has assigned us to accomplish in His name. And we believe that that, has to, that, ha- that mission has three parts to it. Making introductions, um, serving as escorts, and offering assistance. And our mission statement is also in your bulletin this morning. But here it is. Our mission is to introduce others to the love of Christ, number one. Two, to escort them along the path of devotion to Him. And three, to assist them in fulfilling their destinies. Now, this isn't scripture. This isn't divine. This is just some words that I penned to, to ca- try to capture my sense after reviewing all of the, the things that I've heard from you and read uh, about what was involved in the founding of this church and the sense of why God called uh, some people together to plant this congregation in, this, in Vallejo. And I just tried to restate it in a way that made sense to me. But there are three aspects to this vision and last week, or this mission, excuse me. And last week we talked about the first uh, part of that, which was to introduce others to the love of Christ. And, and I won't digress to um, re, uh, re-preach that, that message. And how many of you want to say amen or thankful that, or you're grateful that I'm not going to do that right now? Go ahead, feel free. Amen. He's not going to preach another sermon. Um, but we, uh, as a result of that, we talk, after talking about our circles of influence and how God has placed us uh, on purpose, where we live, where we work, the places we do business, because there are people there he wants us to influence for his name. And all of us took little yellow sticky notes, and I asked you to write down five names of people you identified in the circle of your influence that need Jesus, and, though, and, and uh, asked you to make a copy of it to put in your wallet or purse or Bible or someplace where you could refer to it. And remember to pray for them, because last week we talked about our strategy to introduce others to so the love of Christ is being one to identify the people in the circle of our influence, to intercede for them, which has to do to pray with praying for them, to interact with them or to engage them in, in just the activities of, of our lives so that as they get closer to us, they'll see something of Jesus in us and then forth to invite them to come to know him. And so on this board here, are all of those little sticky notes with all of those names of the people in the circles of your influence that you believe God has, has placed in, in proximity to your life on purpose. There's over 200 names there. That's our mission field. Those are the people God is trying to reach through this congregation. And a lot of you weren't even here last week. So you could add some more to that list. But let's not forget them. Let's pray for them. And let's see how God can, can use us to fulfill what he's called us to do. So that was the first part of our mission. This week, we're dealing with the second part, which is to serve as escorts or to escort them along the path of devotion to him. Now, the three parts of our mission are not you do one, then you do the other, then you do the, the third one. You no, know, they're, they're in parallel. We're introducing people to the love of Christ while we're serving as escorts, while we are assigning or um, offering assistance to them, and you'll hear more about that next week. But 
Um, so this is, it's, this is part of an ongoing pattern of how we function as people and as a church. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40 in just a few minutes. But I'm going to leave this page blank for a minute because I need to, if you'll pardon me, I need to just put a parenthesis around some, some um, other things I need to say as, as setting the stage. Now, I have to be really, really careful here because I am so, I am so passionate about this stuff <laughs> that I could easily keep you here all day and become oblivious myself to the heat and everything. So if I get that way, just throw something at me or, you know, something. But I do need to, to take you to another place in the Scripture, and you don't need to turn there. I'll just tell you about it, all right? But in Matthew chapter 21, there's a very uh, familiar thing that happens. I mean, a lot of you have heard about Jesus' triumphal entry. And he comes into the city of Jerusalem for the last week of his earthly ministry before the cross. And he goes to the temple. And what does he do? He throws out the, those who are buying and selling sacrificial animals. He overturns the tables of the money changers. He makes a mess of the place. And he, and he says to the religious leaders who have established this horrendous pile of mess in God's house, and he says, you have made my house a den of thieves. You have made my house um, an inward-focused, a den, an inward-focused select group of just us, a den of thieves, a place where people who need my presence are robbed of it. You've made my house a den of thieves. My house, Jesus said, my house is supposed to be, and you'll remember hearing this or reading this in the scripture, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. How many of you have heard that before? Okay, good. Well, the rest of you are hearing it for the first time. Jesus said, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, a place where people meet God, and not just the select few, not the people who dress right or know the right words to sing or have all the things, not the already convinced. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. Now, when he, he said those words, he was actually quoting from the Old Testament, from Isaiah chapter 56 from a prophecy that the prophet Isaiah had given hundreds of years before. He was quoting from it, and he was speaking to, to uh, men who knew the scriptures inside and out. If I say to you, Joe, if I say, oh, say can you see, you kind of know the rest of it, right? That's our national anthem, or first part of our national anthem. I don't have to say the whole thing before you know what I'm talking about. Your mind already goes there because you know the context, right? So when Jesus said, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, those men that he was speaking to, they knew Isaiah 56. They knew the context. They knew the whole thing. Trouble is, when I was reading it for all these years, when I'd read through that, you know, see, for a long, long time, the Old Testament to the Old Testament to me was sort of like the sticky pages part of the Bible. You know, you have this gilding that's on the Bible, and, and, and until you really open it, the pages kind of stick together. And I had this whole chunk of the Bible that sort of stuck together because I never read it, you know. 
So I, I actually, I'd read that passage in Matthew 21 where Jesus says what his house is supposed to be. And I wouldn't know, I didn't know there was a larger context to the words that he was saying. Until one day I just decided, well, let me, let me look into this. So I went to Isaiah 56 and I saw there what Jesus was speaking, saying, communicating to those uh, scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders, those people who knew what he was talking about. And I read there something that changed my life forever. Because in that passage in Isaiah 56, it talks about the two types of people that God intends for his house to be a house of prayer for. And uh, I'll, I need to kind of preface my remarks now and say that this is going to be a little bit PG-13, what I'm going to say here. So if you have anybody younger than that, you might not might want to go like that in just a few minutes. <laughs> but in Isaiah 56, it says that the people that God intends for his house to be a house of prayer for are the foreigner and the eunuch. The foreigner and the eunuch. I read that and I thought, well, what does that mean? And then, I, I, I mean, well, it doesn't take a whole lot of thinking to kind of understand what that means. But the foreigner, obviously, is someone who had, doesn't have a nat any natural connections to the things of God. They weren't Jewish. They didn't go to the temple or they didn't have access to the scriptures. They didn't go to the synagogue every week and have, you know, somebody reading from the scrolls of Isaiah or, or from, the, from the Pentateuch. They didn't have any natural connections to the things of God. How many people in your life are like that? Lots. In fact, I would dare say that there's probably a lot of us in this room that's like that. You didn't have any natural connections to the things of God. You weren't, a, you weren't going to church in embryo like I was. In fact, you're not sure why you're here this morning. So that's the foreigner. And then the eunuch. Well, a eunuch is an emasculated male, to be frank, a castrated man. Jesus said to, um, or not Jesus, but the, the scriptures, Isaiah, when he was prophesying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Isaiah 56, talking about the kinds of people that God is specifically interested in meeting him. And he was talking about the foreigner and the eunuch. He was talking about the foreigner, the person who, has been, who is disconnected, the, the person who is an outsider. You know, there's all this stuff going on about God, and they're outside of that. And then the eunuch. And the eunuch was a, a eunuch was a, usually someone who served a, uh, a monarch, a king, a you know, sovereign of some sorts, and allowed himself to be castrated so that he could serve in the court of the, of the king or monarch, particularly with the harem usually, and not be a threat to the king and oversee certain aspects of the kingdom um, kind of in, in a more tame <laughs> or controlled way. But in those days, a, a king or, or sovereign or monarch was considered a god. So what really was happening is that these people were sacrificing, making a huge sacrifice in service of a false god and bearing the price of that idolatry in their own bodies, paying a severe price 
for serving a false god. Now, how many of you know people like that? How many of you in this room spent way too long in your life paying a dear price serving a false god, even if that false god was yourself? Maybe that false god was money or some other thing that you were pursuing. And you today, you bear the scars of that pursuit, of that idolatry. Isaiah, when he was prophesying about God's house being a house of prayer for all nations, he was talking about you, the sin-scarred. So he was talking about the outsider and the sin-scarred, and those are the people God is wanting his house to be a house of prayer for. In a review, a foreigner, an outsider, a disconnected, the eunuch, sin-scarred, hopeless. If you read in Isaiah 56, and I'm not going to take the time now to do that, you'd see that um, God says to the foreigner, don't, and and he's talking to his people, and he says, don't let the foreigner, the person who's an outsider, not one of yours, not one of the select few, not a church goer, not a Jew, however you want to describe it. Don't let them get the idea that they're an outcast, that they don't belong. Because that's not how I think of them. In fact, he says, I'm going to draw them to myself. An invitation. I'm just going to extend an invitation. And he says, and I'm going to cause them to be joyful in my house of prayer. Now, unfortunately, a lot of times when people who don't, you know, aren't, already convinced, don't already know the Lord. They're not churchgoers, or they don't really quite get this whole thing about God, but they're interested, and they have a hunger for him. They'll show up in a church, and oftentimes the last thing they'll experience that day is joy. Isn't that sad? What they will experience is condemnation. (laughs) What they will experience is the cold shoulder. Ooh, you're a sinner. What they will experience is confusion. What in the world is going on? Where's the exit? Let me out of here. But but the Lord said through Isaiah, he said, I want the foreigner to know joy in my house. And then he says, and their sacrifices are going to be accepted on my altar. The altar was the most sacred, except for the... uh, the uh, Holy of Holies. It was, it was the most sacred place. It was where offerings of worship were offered to the Lord. And he says, I want the foreigner to know that his sacrifices are accepted on my altar. And so a place that, that uh, a church, a, a group of people that are, that are modeling God's heart for, for the foreigner are ones who make... Who make uh, Make the pathway to God's presence accessible. Accessible. You don't have to know the rules. You get to come. Everybody gets to play. The eunuch, uh, in that same passage in Isaiah 56, it says that God says, Don't ever let the eunuch, the person who's paid a high price in serving a false god and bears the scars of their iniquity. Things aren't working right in their life anymore because of the years they've, they've pursued a vain pursuit. The toll that sin has taken on their life. Don't ever let them think that they have no future, that they're a dry tree, it says, that they're cut off. They have no future. No, instead, 
cause them to know that they're accepted in my presence. They're accepted. And then I'm going to give them an identity, a name. Because see, a eunuch couldn't have any children. He could have no progeny. He could have no name that extended beyond his life. And so the Lord says, I'm going to give them a name. Within my walls and in my house, I'm going to give them a name. They're going to be known. And I'm going to give them a future better than that of children. Offspring. So that's kind of what God is thinking about the foreigner and the eunuch. And now I'm going to ask you to read with me that passage um, from Acts chapter, uh, actually, let me back up, from Acts chapter 8. Follow along with me. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, now Philip is a guy who's just a plain old ordinary guy. He's not a, an apostle or a, and he wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He was just like you and me. Um, and in fact, his, the first time we meet him, he's given the job in the church of helping distribute the food and other uh, items of care to, to the widows in the, in the congregation. So, you know, he's, he's just somebody who's willing to serve however is needed. Thank God somebody's coming with fans. And if you're listening to this and recording, that's because it's really hot in here. Um, and, and so Philip's just a regular old guy. And an angel of the Lord appears to him or speaks to him. So I'm not certain that it was actually an angel who appeared to him, but he heard a messenger from God within probably within the context of his own thought life, like happens to most of us. It's kind of an impression. The way that God speaks to us is not usually with an audible voice, not usually with an appearance, but with a kind of an impression that you just know something. And it says that an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes from uh, Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And he was telling uh, Philip, Listen, I want you to head out on this highway. And he names where it goes and everything. And it's a deserted road. There's not going to be a lot of people out there. And I can only imagine Philip is saying, well, then why in the world are you sending me there? But verse 27 says he went. And that's kind of what distinguishes Philip from me a lot of times is he seems to want to be obedient to the Lord even when it doesn't make a lot of sense. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. I just think this is so amazing. I mean, here's this guy. He's an Ethiopian. He's a what? He's a foreigner. He doesn't have a natural, any natural connections to the things of God. He's an Ethiopian. Different race, different everything. But he's somehow drawn to the true and living God. He's drawn to Jehovah. So he's come to Jerusalem to try to find, try to get close to him somehow. And he's made a long journey from Ethiopia to Israel to do that. So he's a foreigner, one of the people we've already talked about that God is really, really interested in. And besides that, he's a eunuch. He serves the queen of Ethiopia, Candace. And Candace uh, is kind of a, an, an appellation like a Caesar or a Pharaoh. It's... There was a lot of Candaces, the uh, um, female monarch, that, a line of female monarchs in Ethiopia. And, and this guy served in her, in, the, in her court, and he was her treasurer. So all the things we just talked about apply to this guy. And what we were just saying a minute ago was that 
these things where God is talking about the people for whom his house is to be a house of prayer, we were reading from, or I was telling you about a passage from Isaiah 56. That's, exa- or that's the exact same book where this Ethiopian eunuch is reading. He's, par- he's in his chariot driving down this deserted road reading from Isaiah. And I don't know how he got a copy of Isaiah. I mean, you know, to be able to uh, afford to purchase a scroll of the prophet Isaiah would have been, uh, to me, astronomical. So this guy is at great sacrifice to himself, purchased a portion of the Bible, and it happens to be that portion that contains what we were just reading about the foreigner and the eunuch. And so he's reading it and trying to understand it. Verse 29, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I understand unless someone helps me or guides me? And he asked Philip, Would you help me? Come on up here and... and, Help me make sense of this. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And he who declared, excuse me, and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Who is he talking about? And Philip opened his mouth. And I love that. I'm just going to repeat it again. Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning at this scripture, the place where the Ethiopian eunuch was stuck, he began to preach to him about Jesus. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's some water. What hinders me from being baptized? And in case you don't know what that means, baptism is a is a a symbolic but highly spiritual act that indicates uh, outwardly something that's happened inside where we have gone under or died to sin and come alive again to Christ. He says, what keeps me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When you consider the person saying these words, what has brought him to this moment, it's an amazing thing. It's just a remarkable thing, the way God has drawn this man, this Ethiopian eunuch who has no marked path to God. There's nobody in his country telling him where to go. He hasn't been raised in it. He's totally unfamiliar with it, but something in his heart is drawing him to the living God. He's come to Jerusalem in pursuit of this hunger to know the Lord. He he sacrifices who knows how much money to buy a, a scroll of Isaiah. He's on his way home, confused, reading from the Bible like I do a lot of times, thinking, what is this about? And God sends somebody out there on that deserted road, climbs up in his chariot, and is willing to simply open his mouth. And then God begins to use him, and something happens, and this man comes to a point of faith where he crosses from doubt into belief, and he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Man! Ah, I get so turned on by that. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And we'll stop there.
in our lives, in the circles of our lives' influence, these people here and others, you may be sitting next to someone like this. There are multitudes of people this morning that God, our loving Father, who is desperately passionate for the foreigner and the eunuch, is drawing to himself. The outsider, the outcast, the disconnected, the sin-scarred, the hopeless. He's reaching out to them. Oh, they may look fine. They may live in a fancy house and drive a nice car and stuff, but they bear in themselves the price of a life of idolatry, of serving a false god. They've paid a high price for their sin. And they've counted themselves out. Many of them have just decided, you know what, I'm a dry tree. I have no future. I, this is what I deserve. But God is saying, oh, no. And he's drawing them. He's drawing them. Now, he's looking for some of us who will be willing to go out to the desert road and hop in the chariot with them and tell them about Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't always have all the answers. I mean, people stump me all the time. You know, in fact, I was just, where was I? Just recently, I, I, all of a sudden, I can't remember the specifics, but just recently, I had another one of those occasions where somebody came up to me and they said, you know what, I think you're a religious guy. How about this? And they asked me, you know, one of those weird questions that you think, where did that come from? But it's something that they're really interested in, like, this, like the Ethiopian eunuch. He was stuck on this question of, who's he talking about in this passage? And it didn't really matter. It's not that big of a deal. But he was stuck there, right? And so they asked me, that every once in a while, somebody will ask me one of these questions. And I'll think, in the grand scheme of things, why in the world does that matter? But it matters to them. So, and I don't always have the answer. But I'm getting to where I'm becoming more willing to just open my mouth. That's all Philip did. It says right there in the Bible. This is in the Bible. He opened his mouth. He made himself available. He said, and God gave him the words to say. He said they started where the guy was and somehow they got onto Jesus and they started to talk about who he is and what he came to do. And that man came to faith and was baptized. From this passage, we see these things about what it means for us to serve as escorts, as a congregation and as individuals. These things, first, get into position. We're never going to be able to help escort someone along the path of devotion to Jesus unless we're close by, unless we're available. And I like to think of it like this. When you go to a, um, you know, a, a, a symphony, or maybe you've never been to, I don't know, You've never been to... Okay, so you go to a concert of some sort, right? Led Zeppelin... No, you don't even know who Led Zeppelin is. I don't know. I don't know. Some place where you go and you see something happening. Who, do, who would you go... No, never mind. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, you go to a concert and you show an usher your ticket. And it has to be more than just, you know... It has to be more of a kind of a... You have to picture more of a high-class kind of a thing. That's why I use symphony, Right? Because otherwise, it's like, eh, over there. You know, but you go to a high-class kind of a place, you know, like, you know, the, the symphony. You give the ticket to the usher, and they're kind of usually dressed up, and they're trying to be very nice. And they will take usually the woman by the arm and escort them to the seat. And that's what I want you to picture. If we're going to serve as those kinds of escorts, 
they, we need to be at our post, right? I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times I get up in the morning and my mind is racing 100 miles an hour into my day and I haven't even thought about, oh, uh, by the way, God, what would you have me to do today? Where's my post today? Where, where, do you, where have you assigned to me? And I just want to get more used to kind of making myself available, getting to, when, so that when God says, Philip, I, you know, I need you on that deserted road today, the one that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, or Gaza to Jerusalem, I forget which way. Probably goes both ways. The road probably goes both ways. Anyway, he says, I need you out there. Why? Uh, all right, it doesn't matter. I'll go. I just want to be like that. I want to be where God needs me. And then I want to be willing to offer assistance. He comes along and uh, upon this, uh, this guy sitting in a chariot reading, and he ascertains that, you know, he's a little confused or, perf- or perplexed, and he steps up to the plate, and he says, you understand what you're reading? And there's a lot of times I will, just in the course of my day, I'll encounter people who seem to have struggles with something or another. And rather than just say, is there any way I could help you? See, it's not, you know, it's not that we have to give them the gospel every time. It's just, can I help you in some way? What do you need? And then... I, we just begin where they are, wherever it is, wherever they're stuck, whatever concern they have, whatever it is that's, that's got them confused or perplexed or struggling, begin there. Just meet them where they are. And then let them set the pace. If you read, reread this, I encourage you to reread that uh, dialogue between Philip and the Ethiopian. And you see that Philip doesn't push his agenda he just carefully kind of lets what's happening happen. And then stay with them until they're seated. And here's what I mean by that. Is a lot of times, you know, in, in ministry, people are kind of, we kind of get, we'll, we'll get the person by the arm and we'll say, you know, let's, let's take a couple of steps. And now you go find the rest of the way. No. Peter, I mean, uh, Philip said, he stayed with them. He stayed with them. And they went all the way through the scriptures and talked about Jesus to the point where the Ethiopian, he says, you know what? Here's some water. Could I get baptized? And I can almost see Philip, you know, the grin on his face. And he's, well, uh, if you really believe. And, and he says, oh, I believe. So he stayed with them until he was seated. There was a guy uh, young man that I met several years ago who, you know, was total, a total pagan, total heathen, had absolutely no concept of God whatsoever, yeah, but he was really struggling. He'd been to a variety of uh, counselors and therapists, and they weren't helping him. He had some serious issues with, with uh, abuse in his family, and, you know, he was really a mess. And somebody said to him, you know what, I'll bet my pastor could help you. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. But anyway, they, so he, he called me up out of the blue, and he said, I hear you're, I hear you're a preacher or something like that. I, I'm wondering if maybe I could chat with you a bit. I'm having some trouble. So I said, okay. So I met with him at a restaurant, and make a long story short, uh, I, pers- I followed this whole agenda almost to the T. And um, it, it took a period of time, but he came to a point of faith in Christ, and we, and we began to... You know, see him really um, 
develop a relationship with the Lord, but it, it's almost like he would reach this criti- point of critical mass where he would just go over the other side and it'd be kind of downhill from there, but he wouldn't. He'd get right to the, I don't know about this, and he'd back off, you know? Never had anybody like that in your life? And, and I just, sometimes I get really frustrated, and I'd say, Sean, that's his name, I'd say, Sean, you know, you've experienced this. You know this is true. Yeah, I guess I do. And he'd get right up there to that point. And he'd go, but I don't know. All these questions or whatever. And, but I just hung in there with him. I stayed with him until that one day when he just, yeah, I'm there. And the guy's been serving the Lord faithfully ever since. Stay with him until they're seated. So that's, that's the kind of a model I think that the Lord wants for our congregation to employ in serving as escorts. And I'm going to ask you now, if you will, to stand with me. I'm done. We're going to get, out, get to get out of here. <clears throat> Go ahead and stand. But I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. First of all, uh, when we go to prayer in just a minute, I'm going to have you bow your head and close your eyes, and we're going to give one another just a moment of privacy. I'm going to, here's what I'm going to ask you, though. I'm going to ask you if you today feel disconnected. You're not a person who's had, you know, natural systemic connections to to God or to church or and so this is all kind of wacky and new for you. You're not quite sure you understand it, but something's drawing you. Well, I want to tell you that that something is a someone. It's God. He's drawing you. He's drawn you to this place. I'm also going to ask you if maybe you look over your life and you feel the, the scars, you feel the, the, the wounding that you know your life apart from God has brought upon yourself. You, you've tried to live life your own way and you've paid a high price for it. If you find yourself in either of those situations today and you have not given your life to the Lord. You've not come to that place like the Ethiopian where you said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then I want to give you the chance today. It's really, it's just that simple. You cross this boundary from doubt. You've been inching your way along. God's been drawing you. You've been inching your way along to this boundary. And I'm going to invite you today to cross over it cross over it give your life to him but then the other question that I'm going to ask is to those of you who are today followers of Christ maybe have been for some time but you have not really taken seriously the fact that the Lord wants to use you to escort someone along the path of devotion to him and I want to ask you if you're willing to do that if you will acknowledge that today so those are my two questions let's pray Father, thank you for meeting us here today. Thank you for the way that you have been present with us faithfully. Thank you, Lord, that you have opened your word to us and caused us to see some things about you, about your love for people, about how you want to use us. And Lord, we just invite you now to move amongst us and settle and seal the things that you have been stirring and speaking to us. May it be that when we walk out the door today that these things that that we've been considering be settled and sealed and 
I, so right now I'm just going to pause. I'm going to ask with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you find yourself today longing to cross the boundary from doubt into faith, to give your life to Jesus Christ, to step across from being a disconnected outsider, a, someone whose life has been scarred with sin, into forgiveness and into connection with the living God, would you raise your hand because I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to single, single you out or make you you know, uh, stand out in the crowd or anything, but would you like prayer in that, for that? Is there someone? If so, left, signal me with the raising of your hand. All right, then. My second question. If you today have seen or heard something of the Spirit of God calling you or drawing you to a, uh, a more purposeful, specific availability to him being able to use you as an escort and you want to just settle that right now to make your and, and like Philip step into position would you raise your hand because I'm going to pray for you all right let's do so Lord I pray for these who've raised their hand with mine and I pray Lord that you would enable us to uh, to become men and women who are who you can use who are willing to open our mouths, who are willing to step into position and to be used by you to help others to, to come into full-hearted uh, awareness and relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, that every barrier of fear or, or um, just, just uh, a failure to, to uh, step forward and realize that, that you wanted to use us, I pray that all of that would come crashing down and that we would rush towards you to accept our assignment in serving you. Lord, let it be that, you, that fruit, great fruit would be born as a result. And we pray, Lord, on top of that, for our church, that you would help us to be able to fulfill the mission that you've given to us and that we are discussing in these days. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day and a good week. I'll see you next Sunday.